Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. Welcome, everybody. We are so glad you've joined us. It is almost Christmas. One more night-night, one more sleep, and then the action really begins, although we're kind of starting a little bit early. Uh, This is joy. Hello, hello. This is joy. Bring me down just a little bit, guys. This is joy. That was, that was actually last week. This week is actually love. You know how it works in Advent. We get to celebrate Christmas, celebrate the birth of Christ, not just on one Sunday a year, but for four Sundays in a row. So, so this week, we've talked about joy. We've talked about peace. We've talked about uh, uh, hope. This week, we're talking about love. And I almost want to say we've saved the best for last. Even though apparently God thinks we need a double blessing of joy. Great, now you've had it. Now let's dig into love. Love is what we're talking about this week. And the problem with love is whose love are we talking about? Which version of love are we talking about? Are we talking about Hollywood love? We're talking about social media love? We're talking about that kind of mushy, gushy love between a couple of teenagers? What kind of love? How do we define it? Well, we could try doing that. We could define love. Let's, let's see if we can get it. Love, love is blind. Love is never having to say you're sorry. Love is a mini splendid thing. Love is free, but it'll cost you everything. Or love is love. Well, that didn't help us very much. It's still as confusing at the end of that list as at the beginning of this. If we can't define love, maybe we can, maybe we can describe it. Well, love is like, uh, love is like an ocean. Uh, love is like a warm breeze. Love is like a, a nursing mother. Well, that's, that's getting closer. That helps a little bit. Our minds are going in the right direction, but, but that's not quite it. How are we going to understand love? If we're going to celebrate love, if we're going to find love, not only in the Christmas story, but all throughout our lives, what would it look like? What if we could identify a role model, a real live person who exemplifies, lives out, shines God's love in their life? That would be perfect. Well, if we're going to find someone like that in the Bible, who do you think it's going to be? Sunday school kids, Jesus, right? That's the answer to every question in Sunday school. He's got to be the example. Well, obviously he is. He's first choice. But this week, we're going to go with what I think is second choice, his mommy, Mary. That's why we sang this song. You remember her story. In her life, in her example, this young teenage girl that was called upon to do something that was way, way out of her comfort zone or any woman's comfort zone, any man's comfort zone. God trusted her with this incredible task and she did it with love out of love for her father and love for her sweet baby boy, Jesus, and love that would spread all the way to you and to me today. So let's dig into Mary's story. And as we're walking through her story and the Christmas story, we're going to discover how God used love to woo her, empower her, and send her out. And to this day, 2,000 years later, we're still learning about love from this incredible young woman. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the Christmas story. We're back in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. If you have your cell phone, you can aim it at that QR code, pull up the the Bible text, the sermon notes, or you just kind of follow in the screen behind me. Luke chapter 1. All right, you all saw the tie. I think this is officially the first time I've ever worn a tie to preach at New Hope Church. It doesn't happen very often. I've, I've, I've been doing this. 
for over 30 years, and, and most of those years included a tie, actually even a jacket, if not a suit. So, so this, is, this is a big deal to go back to ties. So yeah. All right, so let's, uh, I want to make sure my mom saw it. Mom, I'm wearing a tie today. Yeah. Yeah. And Chanel, I'm wearing, I'm, I'm wearing a tie. See? I, I look like a grown-up preacher, right? Remember, remember those days? <laughs> All right, Luke chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 26. We're going to dig through, remember, we're, we're digging through Mary's story. This is very important. Pay attention. Probably not any of this will be new information because most of us, we've been to a Christmas Eve service before. We've read the Christmas story before. This isn't new information, but, but as we read through her story, we pull out the ideas of love. Here's, what we're, we're, here's where we're going with this. At the very end of hearing her story, we, we don't want to just be hearers alone, but we also want to respond to what it is that we hear. So pay attention. Luke chapter 1 verse 26 says this. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth, who was that? That was her cousin. Exactly. She was pregnant. Older woman shouldn't have gotten pregnant, didn't have any opportunity to get pregnant up until that point, but God works a miracle. So now she's pregnant. So in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel We've heard about him a few times in the Bible. This is the, the time he comes to Mary. Said the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and you will give birth to a son and you were to call him Jesus. He will be great, will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am still a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative cousin, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And then verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. All right, so let's dig into this story. This is the, the big chunk. We're going to dig into this story and then kind of follow Mary along through her life to understand how God works in her life and see if God doesn't want to work the same way in our life. First of all, she started out with, with a great plan. She had a really good plan. She kind of knew how this would work. She had seen it in other relatives. She had seen it in other young ladies in her village. She kind of knew what was coming. She was getting ready. But God changed everything in the, in the context of one conversation, one encounter with an angel of God. You ever had your, ever had your plans changed? <laughs> yeah, you, you had your heart set on Taco Bell, but the whole car full, they're feeling like burgers. You know, or, or you had it all figured out this week and you're going to stay home, get a bunch of yard work, a bunch of housework done, maybe even take a nap. But then someone in your house decided it was a great weekend to do antiquing up in central Florida. Had your plans changed? How about your entire life's plans changed? In the context of one conversation, you had it planned out, you had it schemed out, you had it mapped out, you knew where you were going, you knew what you were going to be, you even knew where you were going to live, you knew what the house was going to look like when you got there, and it all changed. This is what happened to Mary. 
But as changes go, this should have been a great change. I mean, think about it. She was going to be called the mother of God. She was going to be called blessed. She was going to be revered, actually in some circles even worshipped. I mean, this is, this is all good. They were going to name a, a, a prayer after her, Hail Mary. They're going to name a football pass after her. I mean, this is a big deal. It couldn't have gotten any better for this young girl. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say, oh, she was honored, oh, she was pleased, oh, she was amazed, oh, she was shocked, oh, she was overcome. The Bible says she was greatly troubled. Why? Why didn't she understand what this would mean for her and her descendants and for Jesus that we would be here 2,000 years later talking about this young teenage girl? Uh, Søren Kierkegaard, the, the Danish philosopher, he said it this way, life is best understood backwards. The problem is we have to live it forwards. We know what's coming. We've read to the end of the story. We know how good this could be for her. We forget oftentimes that she, like all of the other Bible characters, they are living this in real time. They don't have the foresight, even the hindsight that you and I have. So she's right in the middle of this in real time. She's young. She's not married. She's only just engaged. Joseph, her, her, her uh, uh, fiance, he doesn't know anything about this conversation with the angel. All he knows is that his fiance is pregnant and he's not the father. They have a word for that. Adulteress would have been the more pleasant word. The Bible says he was a righteous man. Now, what does that mean? That means he did the right thing, especially in terms of religion. There would have only been two options for a right religious man in a situation like this. Number one, he could have had her drug out into the city courtyard and publicly stoned to death for doing this. Or number two, he could have privately, kind of quietly divorced Mary and left her alone and sought another wife for himself. Either one would have been completely acceptable. Either one wouldn't have, folks wouldn't have batted an eye at either option. He does neither of them. This is what God's doing. All of this is going on. All of this is racing through her head in the context of one conversation. Oh, and I forgot to mention the one she's having a conversation with is an angel of God who says, do not be afraid because angels always have to say, do not be afraid. Can you imagine the terror in the, in the heart of a 14, 15, 16-year-old teenage girl standing before an angel of God telling her about this major life change in her life. You think she was greatly troubled? I wish there were stronger words than greatly troubled. Whatever those words are, that's, what she's hap that's what's happening to her right now. She, like us, was living in that space between knowing and not yet knowing. In that space between knowing what is to come and knowing what is right now. We live in that ourselves so often. But then she engages in the conversation. She, she starts, I, I, I don't know if it's actually pushback, but, but engaging. I mean, what, what, I mean, the moxie of this girl. I mean, this is an angel of God telling her big things, things too big for a little girl to understand. And she's taking it in and she gets to a point in the conversation, not that night when she's alone with her thoughts. In the conversation, she responds to the angel. She says, hold on, hold on one second. How shall this be? Now, you ladies are, are world champions this. You're all about the logistics. We men, 
we're going out and buying a new car. We men, we're going out and we're booking a vacation. We men, we're going out and subscribing to some new thing. We men, we're going out and spending all kinds of money. And you women are like, have you thought about this at all? Did, did any thoughts pass from, from thought to action? Did any consideration come? The, what are the logistics? How could this be? She's so convinced of her own rightness, she begins giving a, a talk about the birds and the bees to an angel of God as if God doesn't know how things work in the female body. That's how convinced she is of her own rightness. You ever been there? The Bible, when it says she was a virgin, in, in Greek, it doesn't actually say those words. It, there is a word for virgin. It, it's just, it's not used here. What she's saying in Greek is, how can this be? Because I have never known or know by experience of man. How can this be? I've never known a man. How can this be? I've never experienced a man. That's what the Greek translation actually says. She's saying, how can this be? What you're asking me to do, I've never done before. What you're asking to, to, to do in my body has never happened before. I have no knowledge of this. I have no experience in this. I'm a newbie. I, I've, never, I've never taught a Bible study before, Pastor. How, how could I teach a Bible study? I, I, I've never been a part of a, of a leadership team. I've never led anything in my life, Pastor. How can I, how can I be a deacon? I've never, I've never deaconed before. That's for other guys. How can I, how can I live on just 90% of my salary? I've never, I've never had experience with, with giving God back 10% of all the money I have. I don't know how to do that, Pastor. I've never known that. I've never experienced that. The angel reminds her, the Holy Spirit is with you. The angel reminds her that Elizabeth, she's already gotten her miracle. The, angel, the Holy Spirit reminds her that God's word is faithful. So Mary does this incredible thing. Again, in the context of one conversation, I mean, this blows my mind. I mean, I'm extremely proud of my three daughters. I'm extremely proud of our girls here in the, in, in the church. Incredible young ladies. We see them up here on stage all the time. But can you imagine what is being poured on this young girl in the context of one conversation? And in the middle of it, she does this 180. The Bible says, I am the Lord's servant. She not only gets up the moxie to give pushback and question and ask and try to understand deeper, she comes to a place where she says, okay, I'm in. Did you hear, though, the, no the nuance of what she said? She said, I am the Lord's servant. What did she not say? She said, oh, okay, I'll do it this time. Okay, you talked me into it. Okay, you guilted me into it. Okay, I'll sign up for one week a month, but only when I'm available. And if anything else better comes up, then I'm calling out. I'll serve because no one else will do it. That's not what she's saying. She's not saying I'll serve. She's saying I am the Lord's servant. This was identifying herself as. This is declaring who she is. I am the Lord's servant. There's a big difference between doing and being, 14, 15, 16-year-old top, this is who Mary is. She is so convinced of God's love for her, God's love for this baby that God's given her, and God's love for the world that he chooses to work through her that she says, yes, there's a big difference. You know, and God knows, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, redefine the wheel every single time. Folks, this is where we as a church are moving in 2024. We're getting with the biblical program. This is what we're calling you and me to do. For too long in our American churches, the, the, the pastors, the, the paid staff, the elders, the deacons, the, the professional Christians, 
have been performing, have been pleasing, have been uh, 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 doing all the work. And, and if more work needs to get done, more ministry needs to get done, well, let's just let's go out and get us, get us another pastor, another paid professional to come in here and do this. In two, 2024, we're moving to a different strategy. We are calling you, the church, to stand up. God, in fact, over in the book of Ephesians, says it very clearly that we as, as pastors and elders, bishops, staff, those of us, the, the paid professionals, we are not called to perform. We are not called to please. We are not called to pamper the congregation. But rather, the biblical word is equip. Pour into, raise up, bring to maturity the saints, the believers, you of the church to do the work of the ministry right there in Ephesians chapter four. This is what we're doing. We're calling it uh, uh, um, uh, engaging, equipping, and empowering. Easy to remember. We will engage you. That means we will literally come and ask you. We will find you. We will talk about it from up front. We will invite you to be a part of this. Pastor Chuck's uh, beginning a brand new class with, with help of Allison and Mark Constantine on leadership development. You will invite you to be a part of that, to engage in that. We'll be equipping and training, and then we will be empowering you to go and to do the work of the ministry. This is what God is calling us to do. This is what God entrusted Mary with as well. But even after saying yes, even after being on board with the Lord's plan, that doesn't mean things went all smoothly. She comes, let me read the next little text. It's out of Luke chapter 2 now. The baby's been born. Now it's time to bless the baby. She and Joseph take little baby Jesus to the temple. And this is what happens. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. And I'm going to jump down to 34. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. Great. That's the guy they run into at the temple. Jump down to verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother... This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be, a, will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he turns and he looks at Mary and he says this, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Huh. How'd they find this guy Simeon? Better yet, how Simeon find them? The Bible says he had been waiting for the consolation of Israel. He had been waiting for the Messiah to come. God had, had made some kind of a, a agreement uh, with him, covenant with him that he would not die until he met the Lord's Messiah. So he is there waiting for them. There's probably dozens of young couples bringing their babies in every day into the temple courts. He's looking and he's waiting. He finds Joseph and Mary and he knows, and he knows little baby Jesus, he's the one. He approached them. How does he know that? How does Mary? Well, Mary and Joseph, they love when someone talks beautifully about their baby. It's all good what he says. Mommies and daddies, they love the same thing when you Google and Gaga over their newborn child. But then he gets to the end of his blessing. He looks Mary right in the eye and says, a sword will pierce your own soul too. What could that mean? Again, don't forget, we have hindsight. We have the Bible. We read to the end. Little baby teenage Mary, she has no idea what is coming. She just knows that sounds scary. So let's walk through her life and see if we can find out what happens. Well, right there at the temple, just even a verse before that, we find out why they came to the temple. In those days when you would have a, a baby, the firstborn 
literally belonged to God, whether it was firstborn cow, firstborn sheep, firstborn goat, the first fruits out of your garden, the first things always belonged to the Lord. Well, the other first things you left in the temple and the, the priests, they knew what to do with everything you left there. Babies, on the other hand, you weren't allowed to leave babies, not even the colicky ones that keep you up all night. You were not allowed to leave babies in the temple. You would bring your firstborn into the temple and you would redeem or buy back your baby because the first things always belong to God. If you jump back in the book of Leviticus chapter 12, it talks about this. So, so all these young families are coming with their firstborn and they're bringing with it a baby lamb. That's what you had to buy back your baby with was a lamb. You would sacrifice a lamb. If you didn't have enough money for a lamb, what do you mean didn't have enough money for a lamb? Pastor Trent talked about just not too long ago. There were thousands of lambs in the city. They were ready. They were prepared. They had, now, if you didn't have money for a pretty lamb or a spotless lamb or a perfect lamb, don't worry. I got some in the back. I'll let you have them for half price. Important thing is you give a lamb. Everyone had money for a lamb. But if you didn't, you were allowed to give two dove or two pigeons. Bible talks about Mary and Joseph and what they bring to redeem, buy back Jesus. It was two pigeon, two dove. That's all the money they had. Do you think this pierced her heart? Do you think this broke her heart? All the other babies were there in their beautiful christening gowns. All the other babies were there with mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, aunts and uncles. There would be a big feast, a big celebration at the restaurant right down the street. And here comes Mary and Joseph. No family, no grandparents, no one along with him. There would be no fancy meal afterwards. And he's not only not in a christening gown, he's wrapped up in ripped up, torn up rags. Do you think that broke her heart? Every mommy wants the best for her child. The priest would have taken those children, the the babies and the lambs of of the families that brought lambs. The, The families that only had two dove or two pigeon, they had to wait their turn. Because that's how it is when you're poor, you wait your turn. Do you think that broke Mary's heart? All she wanted was the best for her boy. All she wanted was the best, and all she had were swaddling clothes and two dove. And then the Bible says, if you jump over in the book of Matthew chapter 1, that an angel came and said, you need to get out of here. You need to get out of here quick. And he sends them over to Egypt. They had to flee from all that was going on right there, and they had to flee to Egypt. Egypt. Why Egypt? That's the last place a Jew wanted to go. Don't you remember the history books? I mean, the last time the Jews went to Egypt, they got stuck there for 400 years living as slaves. They finally escaped and came to the promised land. The last place you want to go back is Egypt. The only reason, the only reason why a Jew would go back to Egypt, different theology, different religion, different philosophy, different culture, different language, everything was different. The the antithesis of their Jewish faith, the only reason someone would go all the way back to Egypt is if you really, really, really wanted to get away from where you were from and hide out. It's like for us as Americans, if, if for Floridians, if we would run off and hide in Russia or, or run off and hide in Massachusetts, I mean, something radically different from anything we know here. And so, so there they are in Egypt. And so Mary is raising her child as, a, as an immigrant baby, an alien baby, uh, uh, someone that doesn't belong, they don't have the, the culture, they don't have the language when they try to speak the local language, it comes off with a really strong accent. No one can understand. There's no schooling options. There's no grandma and grandpa to help with babysitting. Do you think that's what Mary wanted? Do you think that pierced her heart every time she thought about it? Well, eventually they get to come back home. 
and little baby Jesus growing up, she thought it would turn out differently. For 30 years, Jesus was just Mary's boy, Joseph's boy, growing up with his brothers and his sisters in the house. He was a part of the family, a part of the local culture. For 30 years, Mary was pondering and wondering in her heart all the things the angel had told her. She had such high hopes, such plans for Jesus when he would finally launch his public ministry, when he would finally be the Messiah that God had promised her 30 years before. And when he hits 30, he launches his public ministry. But it looks so different than she expected. I mean, he never became a Pharisee. He never became a Sadducee. He never became a part of the religious elite. He never took leadership in the temple. He never stepped out and, and became one of the important people. In fact, in fact, the religious people, they kind of seem like they're against him. I almost think they want to kill him. And then on top of all of that, he won't even hang out with the religious folks. He hangs out on the other side of town with all those sinners. He's all the time going to parties and, and get-togethers and weddings, and there's sinners and tax collectors. I even heard he let a prostitute wash his feet with her hair. She's disappointed. In fact, Mark chapter 3 tells us a story. She, Mary, and the boys, her sons, her other sons, they actually go to find Jesus. They are convinced that he's out of his mind. He snapped. He's snapped. He, he's out of his mind. They go to a house. They're going to baker at Jesus. They're going to take him back home and say, he's gone crazy. We're going to take him back home until he feels better, gets better, or at least does no more, no more public harm. Jesus hears about this. He's already in the house where he's ministering to other folks. Knock comes to the door. Message gets to Jesus. Hey, your mom and your brothers are outside. They want to talk to you. Does Jesus jump up, run to the door, say, Shut, mom, let's talk later? No, none of that. He looks at the others around and says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he leaves his mom at the door. Now, my mom's here. I might get away with it now because she's over 80 and she walks with a, with, with a walker. But I tell you what, if my mom was as young as Mary was on this story, I promise you I would not get away with that. My mom would throw that door open and say, I brought you into this world. <laughs> What's going on here? Did that, did that pierce her soul to hear that? Had there been such, had there been such a growing a part of, of baby Jesus and the dreams that she had, the ideas, the plans, the understanding of how it would look one day, were they so different that he now no longer even associated with his own mother? What is going on here? Mary then, we find her again at the cross. No mother should ever stand at the cross of her boy. I wonder if Jesus, I wonder if Jesus tried to somehow make a way for someone to take her away so that she wouldn't be a part of that, so she wouldn't see what everyone else was seeing, experience everything else everyone was experiencing. Maybe the guy that she had asked to take her away, maybe he had run for his own safety and left his mom alone, and there she was at the cross of her boy, the boy she had carried, the boy she had birthed, the boy she had nursed, the boy she had changed, the boy he, she had kissed a thousand million times on the head, the boy she had said, I love you no matter what. How do you unsee all the things that Mary saw on that day? The blood, the pain, agony, the torture, of her baby boy, Jesus. 
And from the cross, Jesus sees his mommy there, and he sees one of the disciples, the only one that showed up, the beloved disciple, John. And he says, Mom, see your boy. Son, see your mom. With his last breath, he's taking care of his mom, regardless of what kind of family split there may or may not have been. It doesn't say that in the Bible, but in case there was anything, it doesn't matter. His, his dying thought is that his mom would be cared for. So he says, here is your son. She, he will take care of you. Now, wait a minute. We just talked about sons. Jesus not only had one brother, he had four. The Bible names him Simon James, Joseph, and Jude, or Judas, four. And the Bible says he had sisters, plural, so at least two. There are all kinds of folks back in the house that could have taken, should have taken care of Mary. Where were they? Why is Jesus having to jump in here from the cross as if he doesn't have enough on his mind, enough on his plate? Where were they? Had, 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 had Jesus' religious beliefs and his his ideology, his, his, his understanding of God's will in his life, had it so divided the family that the, that the boys had said to mom, you choose us or them, our family or this new, this new Jesus family? We ain't having a part of it. If you live long enough, you will have your heart pierced. If you live long enough, your heart will break Loved ones will disappoint you. You will want to help them and they will not allow you to help them. A sword will pierce your soul too. We read about Mary one more time. It's all the way in the, uh, the very uh, beginning of the book of Acts. Jesus has died. Jesus is resurrected. He's returned to the Father as he's leaving. He says, hey, I want you all to wait for me. Wait for me back in this upper room. 120 of them show up. That sounds like a lot, but if you think about it, he's been preaching and teaching and doing miracles for three years. Thousands of people had received a blessing from Jesus. Only 120 of them gather. The Bible says in the upper room were all these folks, plus Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the brothers of Jesus too. God had brought the two families back together. That's the story of Mary. As we hear that story, probably none of that information was new. It was familiar information. The telling of that story is important at the Christmas season. What's important, what's more important than that is how we respond. Quickly, as we close, I want to give you uh, what I believe should be our response. As Mary responded to her story, I believe we need to respond to our story as well. Let me, let me just walk through this quickly, the way Mary has responded, because her response needs to be our response. Maybe, you are a, maybe you're here and you're still checking Jesus out. Maybe Jesus is not yet a part of your life. You've been brought here, <laughs> invited here, maybe even drug here, and you're, just, you're still kind of in the study, uh, uh, experiencing kind of phase. Let this convince you that this is your next step. How you take these steps, how you respond to this story is how Mary did, or maybe Maybe you are a believer, and you know that God is calling you to something more, something bigger, something deeper, then listen to how Mary responded, and this should be your response as well. Number one, uh, when we are confronted, we need to understand that we are confronted with this gospel message. Uh, when we're confronted with God's will, with God's speaking into our lives, with the gospel being presented to us, we need to understand that it is intended to be a confrontation. Now, the Bible says that she did two things. She wondered and she pondered. 
These are incredibly deep words. Let me just break them up just a little bit. Wonder is uh, the Greek word logizomai, which is where we get our word logic. It's a a heady, kind of a a reasoning kind of response. She thought hard. She thought long and hard. And she pulled the ideas apart and put them back together. She thought diligently about that. And then the word ponder is even better. The word ponder means to, to throw things together. Two armies are thrown together in battle. Two soldiers run together in a fight. Two ideas are thrown together and wrestled with. These are the words the Bible uses to describe this little 14, 15, 16-year-old girl. I don't know about you, but there's not many teenagers today that you could describe as wrestling with deep ideas that could change the course of their history, their scroll. Well, now I want this another sermon for another day. She was this kind of a girl. Why is it that in our culture today, the world, those that do not yet know Jesus, they are convinced that to become a Christian, you leave your brain at the door. You become a Christian, you no longer think. Even Ernest Hemingway said it himself. He said, any thinking man is an atheist. Is that true? Here we have this 14, 15 year old girl thinking heady thoughts, deep thoughts. These same words in the New Testament were also used in the Old Testament to describe what the Old Testament prophets did. They wrestled with the commands of God. They wrestled with the thoughts of God. They wanted to know what was true. They didn't hang up their brains, but they used them and thought deep thoughts. And then she questioned right there in verse 34, how will this be? We're allowed to give pushback. We're allowed to demonstrate doubt. We're allowed to ask God why. You might not always get an answer, but you're allowed to ask. She gives pushback. She admits that she has no experience. She has no knowledge of these things. She was no pushover. She was a young girl. She was inexperienced. She knew all of those things. But just because it was 2,000 years ago, don't believe for a minute that it was any easier for those folks to believe in virgin birth than it is for our scientific minds today. For For her mind, it would have cost way more to come out as a unwed teenager than it does for us today. Even the people of God have this in their thinking. The word Israel that God gave to his people, that means He or she who wrestles with God and wins. That's their name. That's the name God gave his people. You who wrestle with God and win. We're supposed to wrestle with these ideas. And then it does say that she submitted. Verse 38 says, may it be unto me, as the Lord says, may it be unto me. Do we even understand what she was saying yes to? She was saying yes to Surely poverty, to be ostracized, to be an outcast, to be an unwed teenage mother, to be vulnerable, to lose Joseph, probably to lose her own family. But she said it is worth it. She's not looking at the loss column. She's looking at all she gains in being a servant of the Lord. And then finally, she celebrated And this is an important part for you and for me, this celebration. We didn't have time to read the story, but but as she goes to visit Elizabeth, the Bible says she's already pregnant. Elizabeth is six months pregnant. When she gets there to see Elizabeth, she walks in the door. The Bible tells us that the baby inside of Elizabeth, little baby, who remembers? John. John was the cousin of Jesus, right? So when she walks in, the baby inside of Elizabeth jumps for joy. Elizabeth breaks into this incredible praise and, 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 and adoration and encouragement for Mary out of that. She is convinced that the two babies know each other. That the two babies know each other. And when this happens, and, and Elizabeth speaks this over Mary's life, Mary, it, she, she breaks 
she, she breaks into tears, she breaks into laughter, she breaks into dancing, she breaks all this excitement, all of this fear, all of this pressure, being the only one that knew this information outside of her and Joseph, suddenly it breaks and she the Bible says breaks into song, the, the Magnificat is called. It's this beautiful prayer song that Mary breaks into because everything has changed. She's celebrating that God has affirmed and confirmed the calling on her life. Her life is different and God's a part of that and nothing will be the same because she's now walking with God. Folks, this is the same process that you and I are called to go through. This year, let's not just be hearers, listeners of the story of Christmas. But let us respond in that same way, whether you're not yet believer, as you are confronted with his gospel, you are to hear and you are to question and you are to wrestle with it, but you are also to submit and celebrate with us that, de- that decision. Maybe you are a Christian and you, you know darn good and well that God's been working in your heart. He's been calling you something more to something deeper. Say yes, wrestle with that calling but submit to that calling. Allow us to celebrate that with you. Let this Christmas be the Christmas of true change. Folks, as we come to the end of our time here, I want to remind us that we have uh, one more opportunity to grab our phones and to text, call, invite a neighbor, family member, work colleague to this evening. As we come together this evening, just like Pastor Chuck said, it'll be a different kind of a service, uh, different songs and different message, but we will be very clearly explaining who Jesus is and how you can know him. So if you have the opportunity these next few hours, I encourage you to use that. Maybe this is your first step in knowing what God's will is for your life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for women like Mary. God, send us more Marys, young ladies, even young men who are fearless in their desire to please you, to love you, and to love others. Father, we thank you for this example. Now we pray that you would empower us to such a point that we can live our lives just as she did. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.